Welcome to the ride. Life, Work, and Wealth Podcast with your host, Chris Rowe. Years ago, Chris was a firefighter and a paramedic and witnessed many people not getting another tomorrow, and it shaped who he is now as a financial strategist. Chris doesn't just help people plan for a secure tomorrow, he helps them plan for a better today. Chris lives in Burlington, Ontario, and is an investment advisor at Three Hats Financial, a trade name of Harborfront Wealth Management, an IROC dealer. Let's get to it. The real estate market is hot, but why and where is it going? That and more in this episode of The Ride, Life, Work and Wealth. Chris DeRoe of Three Hats Financial has a great guest to discuss the state of real estate. Crystal Lee Moore is an agent with a background in both education and law, fluency in English and French, and more than 20 years experience in customer relations. I'm Patrice Sakora, And Chris, I'm very excited to hear what Crystal has to share. So please, let's get going. Thanks, Patrice. Well, thank you, Crystal, so much for coming on today's show. It's going to be a pleasure to have you. I've been wanting to get a real estate agent on here for a bit because obviously this is on a lot of people's minds with how crazy the market is. And right now I know how busy you are, so I really appreciate you carving some time out of your Friday for us today. What I will start with is to just listeners, I always like to give them an idea of how I know the guests. So I'll start by just saying how I met Crystal was we had met Last fall, since we were each one of the 10 entrepreneurs that was selected to be co-authors of a book called Soar, which is about transformational stories of strategy, soul, and sensational results in business is on the title of the book. The book is a compilation of successful entrepreneurs just going over their hurdles and successes and all the steps in between. And I was a little shocked because it was fun doing it and all of that. But then in the first week launching, it was like the number one bestseller and hot new release. And it was actually even number six in the overall category of business books. So I was quite surprised about that. And if anyone's interested, you can just simply get that on, on Amazon. Anyways, thanks for coming on the show, Crystal. And why don't you just fill the listeners in a little bit more about yourself, like what area you're in and everything else. Sounds great. Well, thank you so much, Chris, for having me on the podcast. And as Patrice said, so yes, my name is Crystal Lee Moore, and I'm a real estate broker with Royal LePage Triland in London, Ontario. I've been a real estate agent, a real estate professional for 10 years. And I was very excited to be in the SOAR book with you and other authors and equally impressed with its performance. And yes, excited to talk about the crazy real estate market in 2021. Yeah, it's the last time when you and I were chatting before, the last time I remember this many people, obviously I talked to a lot of clients in a day, mentioning real estate or what their neighbors sold down the street or what their family members sold for was back in 2016. So it's been a few years since I've had this many people in my circle anyways, talking about real estate. And it's obviously it's on everyone's mind. It's all over the media. So what's going on that's causing this? Like I know inventory levels are supposedly low, but can you just explain to the listeners like what's fueling this? Absolutely. So we're, we've noticed there are three key factors that are driving the market the way it is right now. We are in a housing shortage, but we've been in a housing shortage for several years. So that part of it hasn't really changed. 
The really big factors that have changed things lately are COVID-19 and low interest rates. So when COVID happened, there was about, I'd say a month or so when the real estate market just sort of stopped. And it didn't stop because demand stopped. It stopped because just like every other industry in the world, we had no idea what to do. Everything just stopped, stay home. That's that. We were still deemed an essential service though. And while volume went down, prices didn't go down. So that was something that we paid very close attention to. And we started getting really creative with how to sell houses safely and with COVID protocols and masks and hand sanitizer and all of that fun. But what also happened was the lower interest rates started to drive people to want to explore different options. So as much as, and I don't know if you've seen a lot of this, but I know a lot of my lender colleagues have noticed a lot of refinances as of late because the price values are going up. And I'll just get into why COVID has something to do with that. So I'm sure you know a lot of your clients and I know a lot of my clients have gone from working in an office setting to working virtually. And let's say you're someone that works 40, 50, 60, 70 hours a week, normally you leave your house, you come back and it's just where you come back to. And all of a sudden people were face to face with having to stay in homes 24 seven and really either falling in love with the house or hating the house. And so a lot of people decided to move. And because that commute didn't matter anymore, you didn't have like your commute was five minutes down to your living room only because you had to stop in the kitchen for a coffee that really changed things. And in Ontario, I'm sure a lot of people have heard, but it's kind of the prices peak Toronto and sort of go down from there. The further away from Toronto you are, the more reasonable the prices seem to be. And in 2016, 2017, I was a real estate agent in Guelph. And Guelph, Ontario is about 45 minutes west of Toronto. And so we had the same, the same thing that was happening with your clients. It was happening with us, but that was more 2017 was kind of the first half of 2017 was surprising. We had, we'd have five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten offers on a house, and things were going for a hundred thousand over or a hundred and fifty thousand over. And we were all kind of paying close attention to go, okay, what's going on? Why can we explain this? And at the time it was our proximity to Toronto and was sort of discovered as a very reasonable place to live if you wanted to commute back and forth. So the same sort of thing has happened this year and, and even last year where people are realizing that maybe they don't need to go back into the office. Maybe they can work from home, but that's also creating a demand for neighborhoods and cities that are further out. So as I said, I'm in London, Ontario. London, Ontario is two hours west of Toronto. A normal person, unless it was the best house or the best deal ever, would not want to drive four hours round trip a day. You could never enjoy your house. You couldn't enjoy your family. And so there were people that did it, but it on average, the the average person didn't want that kind of a commute every day. But now you have people that maybe if they even have to go into their office at all, they might have to go in like once a week or once a month. So that all of a sudden that drive's not so bad. And the prices have gone up 
but they're still more reasonable the further away from Toronto you go. And so what we're noticing is kind of a redistribution of buyers. And as the tide goes up, all the boats go up, right? So it we have a lot of people that have kind of discovered London and maybe rediscovered Guelph. And so those prices are rising a lot. And then we still have that housing shortage. We still have people that want maybe more home or something else in their home office is a huge plus a home gym because gyms are closed pools a house with a pool is a big plus and i can't speak to it personally but i know a lot of my colleagues who specialize in cottage homes have been run off their feet because if you're going to be quarantined or stuck ever which we never thought would ever happen but did happen it's not a bad idea to have a cottage property where it's not such a big deal yeah, interesting that you're like, because obviously with the different times, there's things that are more attractive to the houses than than opposed to a couple of years ago. Like I know before, a pool wasn't necessarily a bonus. I don't think, and you can obviously add more information to this, I don't believe that a pool a couple of years ago really added to the price of the homes. But now you're mentioning like home gym, pools. I would imagine obviously a home office might be important, somewhere separate for that is some of the things that are more valuable now than they were a few years ago, correct? Because of the times? Yes, yes. So we always tell people is that a pool is like a, a 50% odds gamble because some people absolutely want a pool and some people absolutely do not want a pool. So we always advise clients or in the past have advised clients that if you're putting in a pool, you're putting it in because you want a pool, not because you think you're going to get this huge return on your investment. I've known of people that have filled in the pool. Like that was the one thing they had to do and spend money on was to fill it in with dirt. <laughs> so, <laughs> so for all the pool lovers out there, their hearts are probably breaking. But this year, it just, if you can't leave, you want your house to be enjoyable as it can be. And so I know that a lot of my contractor friends have been just swamped as well. Yeah, I've even seen some of these contractors getting creative and it's a pretty cool idea is that they're building, I'm going to call it a shed, but it's it's obviously a lot fancier than a shed, but they're building, it's like a size of a shed, but it's very nice with heating, Bluetooth speakers, Wi-Fi, and they're creating these little offices in the backyards. Yes, the backyard office. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Such a cool, like it's soundproof. I've seen some. It's such a cool idea. And I've even seen yep. this one company, they call them a... If you were born in the 80s or less, you'll know what a phone booth is, <laughs> but they're building these things called a phone booth <laughs> yes. in the people's basement where it literally looks like a, it's a nice phone booth, but it's built like a phone booth with a little seat and a desk that you can just break away into, into that and get a soundproof place to make a call or a Zoom meeting. And it literally looks Private like- Private workspace, yep. Yeah. So it's that stuff's been pretty interesting, but anyways- It is, absolutely. Prices. So- So that's that's that side of it. Before we get into prices, I just right before that, I just want to also say like when we are saying that housing shortage, so it's a housing shortage for buyers, but also a housing shortage for, we talked about the low interest rates and, and we can go into that after, but the low interest rates have, they've encouraged people to either purchase a larger home with lower payments to take a refinance on their existing home to take advantage of the higher values and then purchase an investment property. And 
Then there's also the herd mentality. When you hear everyone is buying an investment property, we have a lot of people that will come and be like, oh, like my friend and my neighbor, they're all buying investor properties. Let's talk about this. And so I find that it's not that it's a bandwagon situation, but if you hear that there's an option where you can become an investor and you didn't think it was possible before, we have a lot of people taking advantage of that too. Yeah, I, I bet. Especially, I've been reading a couple articles on that where they expect, obviously, rent to potentially increase down the road just because of inventory shortage, new home sales possibly delayed longer than usual because of a shortage of building materials. So just some of the things that you're hearing, because I'm, I'm starting to see, and I'm starting to get people asking more as well about me in regards to helping them figure out how they can afford an investment property. So I'm even seeing that on my end as well, too. Yeah, that makes sense. Let's talk. Okay. So prices, obviously it's all like you can see on social media and multiple offers and ridiculous amounts over asking. Do you feel these prices will soften? Because we are still in a weakened economy here, but the prices just seem to keep going up and up. And you were telling me before about some of these houses, it was incredible the amount of offers coming in. Yes. So I found what I've said to people, and again, I just want to point out a lot of this is my observation, and I try to follow a lot of the head people in real estate so that I know as much as I can for my clients. And I also pay attention to my colleagues and what's going on. So I found that in 2020, things were strong and prices were rising, but as much as it was strong, it wasn't a frenzy. And I found the beginning of 2021, the only word I can describe is frenzy or I can use to describe as frenzy. Yeah. So the house we were talking about, this was a townhouse in London and it was a nice townhouse. So I'm not going to disparage the house at all, but it was a nice townhouse, but it wasn't anything extra special about it other than that it was a townhouse. And I went to see it with some clients. They decided not to put an offer in, but I kept getting the updates because we had shown it. There were 73 offers on this house. Wow. So the most I've ever heard of was in 2020, the most, and I personally was competing. The most I had heard of was 28. And prior to that was 21. And prior to that, I think was 17. So 73 offers. And I don't even know how offer 72 is like, okay, let's try. (laughs) (laughs) I, I keep my mind. I just don't even understand how, but yeah, good on the agent and for attracting that many people. And even the thing is like a lot of realtors, I will hear kind of through the grapevine, the immediate answer is, well, it was obviously underpriced. Maybe it was slightly underpriced, but by like $20,000. It wasn't like they were just like giving it away, hoping for this frenzy. It just happened that way. Wow. So then do you feel that that will change? Because people are asking, do I sell right now or do I hold off because I have that luxury? And some people are like, no, it's, we've been hearing real estate's going to crash for decades, which it never really has. But you have a lot of people trying to make that decision on, do I jump into this because is this going to continue to go up or do I hold off, which because I think is my correct, which now this is, you're trying to time the market just like the stock market, which obviously is extremely difficult to do. It is. And I, so I'll just go back to my experience in 2016, 2017. In 2017, so again, I pay attention to my colleagues. I I listen very carefully to the people that run the real estate business and our company and everything. And 
in 2017, things were just flying. Things were going, things were going. And then it was one of my colleagues in Toronto and it was the beginning of May, 2017. And he posted almost like in disbelief that he had had an offer presentation for a condo in Toronto and nobody came. And I remember, and he was shocked and and I was like, oh, wow, that's weird. Like, this is like where there's usually time there was like lineups around the block and there was no problem. No one came. And I thought, okay. And I believe it was right around the time that there were new restrictions placed on buyers. And within two weeks, the same thing came to Guelph. And then two weeks later, it was I think, in, let's say, Kitchener and then London and then Windsor. So it, and it didn't, the thing is like everyone thought it was a crash and it was still where we ended was still higher than the year before. It just wasn't a frenzy anymore. It just went back to some sort of normalcy. But we had a lot of sellers who kind of missed the boat. They saw all these things selling. They started to get their house ready. They listed and then they have these expectations because they want that same type of price that the neighbor's house sold for and the neighbor's house got this, but my house is better. And so we had a lot of, um, we had some very frustrated sellers. And then we also had people that had purchased first no problem to sell and then having that issue. Yeah. I heard a couple examples of that, that going and buying and then they assume their house is going to go for so much, no problem. They go buy and then they now to go list and it's way less than what they had originally thought and plan the mortgage around that and all everything else. For sure. And I mean, in 2017, that number was still higher than they would have gotten the year before. But when you have a number in your mind as a seller, it's very hard to accept your number. And so just to your question about prices, so I personally, just me, so not representing anyone, I was very concerned at the beginning of the year. And the reason I was concerned was, again, the frenzy that these houses were going for so so much higher than they had been before. And the one explanation, which happens to be the explanation, so I feel much better, that would have made me feel good, was that this redistribution theory, which is that because people don't have to be close to their workplace anymore. Instead of having everyone lumped into this one circle around the GTA, it was able to be spread out more. So I know people that work from home and have just decided to move to another province or another city. And what do my friends say? She said she's doing this with the hopes that she's never called back into work, <laughs> like oh. physically. <laughs> Wow. (laughs) There's a gamble. Yeah. But it, right. So a lot of people are doing that. But, and what I said to all of my clients and anyone that would ask was, I'm happy with these prices as long as they close. If they close, then we can use them as prices in the market. But a lot of people will hear that something has sold for so much. And in 2017, there were some houses that didn't close. Luckily, none of my clients, we did our due diligence, but there were houses that we heard of that didn't close because we couldn't get the financing. And even last year, there were houses that didn't close because they couldn't get their financing. I think because I know that that could happen and I'm a very risk averse person and, and I try to do the same for my clients, that was a concern. But, and to be clear, the bank is still appraising things, but they're seeing that those appraisal numbers can be higher too because the value has gone up. So yeah, I try not to reinvent the wheels. If the bank says it's okay with all their checks and balances, then I tend to be a lot more comfortable for my clients. But when people are wondering, do I sell now or do I wait? So 
the cooling down has kind of already happened in that it's still a strong market. So I don't think anyone is seeing the strength of the market going anywhere for quite some time. But the frenzy has dissipated, which makes me much more comfortable for my clients. So instead of having, let's say, 73 offers, you might have four or five. And the prices aren't going down. So the prices are still high. But what I'm noticing as well is you cannot overprice a house. So what we'll have people do is, let's say a house lists for, I'll just pick a number, lists for $399. And it sells for $500,000 in multiple offers. That's great. But it was the multiple offers that brought it to that price. And so, yes, the market value will go up, but it's still not... If they had listed at 500, we don't know that they would have gotten 500, right? There's just no way to know. And so what will happen is people will then list their house at 500 or just low, thinking it's the same house, basically same house, same street, and they'll now list for that higher price. And then they don't get the first that they wanted because it's too high. Yeah. Right? So it's the multiple offers that are driving the price up which is always the case, right? We have kind of a blind offer system where you have to give your best and hope, which is frustrating for buyers. But when we're wondering when the best time to sell is, I would say, so in Ontario, we have our real estate cycle. So usually minus 2020, usually it starts ramping up in February and it peaks in April, May. And then it starts to go down a little bit in June, July, while people are on vacation in August. And then September is almost like the second spring. It'll get really busy again. September, October, start to go down in November. And then December, January, it'll be a little quieter. That's our usual cycle. In 2020, we got interrupted in March. And so instead of missing the spring, it just got delayed and there was no down time in July and August. It just kept going. And that was like realtors who usually kind of go, go, go. And then we have a tiny break. That was tough. But we also know like make when the sun shines, like, so you kind of just keep going. This year we're stayed busy, especially January was super, super busy, but we're noticing more people. It's kind of getting a little bit back to normal where more people are listing now And there's more buyers that are excited to buy. Buyers are waiting for the prices to go down. I'm concerned that they will get priced out of the market because the price of your house only matters if you're selling or refinancing, right? Like those are the, if you're not moving, then real estate will always be an investment because down the road, like you'll make money on it. But when we're looking at people hoping that the prices go down, I don't see them going down, but I do see them kind of sort of leveling, leveling to a point that they'll still go up, but at a much slower rate. Yeah. So that the frenzy was not sustainable in my opinion. Yeah. And that's what we had chatted about that prices will look like the most likely kind of stay around the same. It's just the market's going to lose a bit of steam, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. So what I do want to touch on right now, Crystal, is you're heading that direction because a lot of clients of mine and stuff or that question comes up as soon as they start talking about real estate that usually the second thing to follow is how are my kids how are my grandkids how are they ever even going to buy their first time their first home in this because they don't even have anything to sell and there's been a few of my clients children where i've been working with them to try and get them to figure things out 
And some of them are like, well, we can save $30,000 a year because we're running right now and we're putting things to the crunch and we'll save $30,000, which is really good for a young couple. But then the houses that they're looking at go up at least sixty, seventy thousand dollars $70,000 a year. So they're like, how the heck do I ever get ahead of this? It's a fair question. So I help everyone, but I specialize in working with first-time buyers, new sellers, or sellers who need a little more, a little more help. My first-time buyers have had a tough time this year. And last year I lost three of them because they just couldn't, like they were priced out of the market completely and they decided just to rent for a while. And and that makes sense because the I have a very real talk with them at the beginning and I say, like, here's the situation. In this market, we may, on average, people are putting in three to 12 offers before they get a house. And it takes its toll. It really does. Because on the one hand, you want to, you want to fall in love with a house so that it's going to be your first home. It's exciting. <laughs> it's an emotional decision. It shouldn't be an emotional decision, but it is. And you finally decide you're going to put an offer in. You're going to take that step. And then so do 20 other people. And it's not even, it's not happening do that enough times and you're just like, I don't even care as long as it has a door. (laughs) (laughs) And so, right. (laughs) And it's tough. And so what we tell them is number one, have everything in order before you start. So start saving, find out about different programs. Like I know the government has the first time buyer program. Not everyone wants to do it. Not everyone can do it, but it's something to look at. There's the first time buyer RRSP. Yeah. option where you can take your RSPs and put that as part of your down payment. And then as far as just being realistic, the biggest hurdle for first-time buyers right now, I think, is are all these TV shows. So it's great to see Love It or Listed. And my apologies to the entire industry of home television shows. I don't watch them. But I know a lot of people that do, especially clients. And they see these gorgeous homes or they'll look at Pinterest and they'll see these amazing things. And it's almost lost on them that your first house isn't going to be that house unless you can spend a lot more money. So I don't know what your first house looked like, but I know for mine, we had to borrow cottage furniture from a friend's parents because we spent our money on the house and our basement and our dining room had their sunroom furniture in it for a year. Yeah, I think that's pretty standard. That's pretty standard. (laughs) It was absolutely. But right now you have people that that's not okay. Like, it's like, well, do we want to spend 20 years here? Where will we wave to the grandkids? And it's just, that's the biggest thing is to say, like, listen, we want you in the market. We want you to like the house for sure, but you're building equity. You want to think of it as a big piggy bank. And so everyone hates moving, but unless you can find more money, it, your first house is a first house. And it's tough because the first time buyers are dealing with mortgages and mortgages, especially with the concern of people not having jobs or not not being able to pay for things, you need to make sure that your offer isn't higher than they can pay, right? So there will be an appraisal that comes into it. And so we're kind of encouraged. We don't want to pick a price for somebody, but I'll give them a range of where I think an appraiser would look and say, here's your range. And then we kind of make a decision and we say, like, if it's higher than this, and if you can come up with extra money, that's great. But if you can't, this is kind of your line where on closing day, you can actually pay for it. And unfortunately, with all the multiple offers and investors and people who's from out of town who have larger pocketbooks, they're being bumped out. So we have to get creative for the buyers. And I've successfully gotten two, three in this market just in this year. 
I think I've written like 35 offers this year. My sellers are great, but my buyers, I feel for them because it's offer after offer after offer and it's tough. Yeah, no, that's good point about the first house and it's not going to be as maybe as glamorous as they they had hoped and just to try and get in because sitting back like I had mentioned for that those that one couple I was trying to help it the houses are just the prices are just going up too much per year they can't even keep pace with their savings not even close so like you said they have to jump into that first piggy bank and it may not look like what they want but they got to get in yeah exactly because once you have once you have a house and you have that equity it's a whole different ball game Okay, Crystal, well, something else that I wanted to ask was everyone knows that a realtor is going to list your house and they negotiate for you. But what are some of the other services that they're providing now? Because it's different times. There's now, I know there's like drones involved and some people just think, oh, market's hot. I can just put jam a sign in my lawn. And it's going to sell. So what are some of the other services that you do or that you've seen out there and that these realtors are now providing in this very different environment? That's a great question, Chris. So when I list a home, I offer a variety of service to my clients. And the reason that I do is that I really want the whole process to be as minimally stressful as possible, but I also want to get the best results. So I want them to get quality buyers who are in to purchase their home. So I'll come in for the first appointment and we will book a walkthrough with my stager and then we will get the home fully staged. To be fair, what we do though, because I know a lot of sellers are concerned that if they have a stager, that all of their stuff will be put away and they'll be living amidst strangers' items. And so we try to use as much of our clients' personal items as we can, but we make sure that it's professionally staged because we have very sophisticated buyers out there. And with the the internet and real.ca and the ability to see hundreds and hundreds of houses at a time online, you really want to stand out. So I also provide handyman services. I have a handy person that I hire for a couple of hours to help us with hole patches or changing light bulbs or really anything that is on that to-do list that hasn't gotten done. And it's not that people can't do it themselves, but they're busy enough trying to get their house ready to sell. So let's try and help. And we also have a professional cleaner. So we get the house cleaned top to bottom. And again, not because they can't clean their house and not because it even needs it, but buyers notice these things. So it's just an extra service. And then we always get professional photos. But what we've been doing since last year are getting the professional video and the floor plans. So a lot of people, especially in 2020, they want to buy. And people want to sell, but COVID-19 has been a real concern. So realistically, we don't want anyone inside a house unless they're almost positive that they want to buy it. It doesn't mean they have to buy it, but almost positive they would buy it. So we don't want people coming into someone's home and saying, oh, I didn't realize the layout was like this. Or, oh, there's only two bedrooms. I wanted three. We want people to say, okay, I'll let these people in my home. We do the covid disclosure. We make sure everyone's wearing masks, hand sanitizer, all of that. We really want to minimize that risk. So the floor plans really help because as much as you, I don't know if you've ever looked at house photos online, it's hard to figure out where everything is. So we have the floor plans and then a lot of the times now they're interactive. So you can kind of, you click on the dot, you can see the whole room and it's great. And then drone footage is a whole... 
I have seen many people do drone footage. I personally think drone footage should only be used in rural properties or kind of where you need to see that above bird's eye view. I have seen it for residential neighborhoods, but I've also heard of a lot of issues that come from that because of you need permissions and permits and all of this. And then you're also kind of invading on everyone's privacy. And then I've also had people that came to me because their house couldn't sell and they had a drone photo, but the property was less than an acre. So the drone photo made it seem like a rural property with rolling hills. (laughs) And really it was just a, a really nice house on a small lot. So we delisted it. We did not put drone footage and we sold it in multiple offers for them. So it really depends. I think it's a judgment call. So they can look great sometimes. Really, it's anything that will just make it pop. Like I tend to use, my photographer does twilight photos. So I don't know if you've seen, it's almost, they're done at night and you see the lights on in the house. It just pops because when we're, we're competing online. So we want, if people get almost in a daze going listing after listing after listing, we want ours to pop. Because in this market, if you price your house right, sure, of course it'll sell. It will definitely sell. But you don't know that you're getting the most for your house. It's You're getting it in multiple offers. So you want to make sure that you have a professional who knows how to do that and how to make sure that you get them. And then you also want to make sure the house closes. So the good part about having agents on both sides is that the buyers are qualified. So you're having buyers who have been pre-approved. You have buyers. I speak to all of the agents who bring offers for my clients' properties, and I have questions. I want to know where their financing is coming from because when we have these multiple offers, it's great. So $100,000 over our list price. Amazing. How are they paying for it? Where Have they been pre-approved? Are they selling a home? Like Where is it coming from? Because you don't ever want a situation where you have to go back to your sellers and say, oh, I know that we thought your house was sold, but oh, by the way, it's not. Okay. Well, th- Yeah. So I think those are the, the basic services. Yeah. No, that's great, Chris. And I, there's what a difference. Like I'm, I'm always looking at real estate. I'm always interested in it. And it's just what a long way they've come compared to the little glossy brochures we used to pick off the counter of the house compared to what you can see online <laughs> now. So yeah, it's pretty incredible with the technology. But anyways, Crystal, that was absolutely awesome. Thank you so much for coming on the show today and giving my listeners an update and all the tips and that. That was fantastic. So for listeners, if they have any questions or they're looking to buy or sell a house in the London or Guelph area, how do they best get a hold of you? If people would like to reach me, you can go to my website at www.crystalleemore.ca, Instagram at your home sweet home 519 Realtor, or Facebook at Crystal Moore Real Estate Sales. And that is Crystal Lee Moore. And of course, Chris DeRoe. Folks, I want to thank you very much. I have a feeling a lot of people are going to be taking a new look at their home. Subscribe to this podcast, The Ride, Life, Work, and Wealth, and get the latest from Chris DeRoe. You can also share with friends and colleagues. I'm Patrice Sikora, and let's talk again later. Thank you for listening to The Ride, Life, Work, and Wealth podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. All comments are of a general nature and should not be relied upon as individual advice. The views and opinions expressed in this commentary may not necessarily reflect those of Harborfront Wealth Management. While every attempt is made to ensure accuracy, facts and figures are not guaranteed. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing or tax advice. 
please seek advice from your accountant regarding anything raised in the content of the podcast regarding your individual tax situation. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning.